And we're dealing with communion of saints. And as we mentioned last week, communion is not unique to the church. All right? The aspect of communion. Um, communion of saints is unique to the church. Communion with Christ is unique to the church. All right? But communion in general can happen among a lot of ways. And we're limiting with what we're doing, and the title suggests it, we're limiting our consideration to the communion of the saints. And we considered last week that before you can have communion, you've got to have a union. You've got to have a union. It's got to be a relationship before there can be a benefit flowing from that relationship. And in this case, for there to be communion of saints, there must be a union with Jesus Christ. Apart from that, there is no communion of saints because you aren't a saint. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not a saint. You're not a saint. There's no communion with saints or with Christ. So we considered that last week. We also considered the function, what happens, what, what does it mean to be in union with someone? And we considered last week certainly the husband-wife relationship, but the functioning as one, the benefits, the gifts, the gifts of each become the gifts of the other, as it were, because now they use those gifts for the mutual benefit of the whole. And certainly as we look at the church, as we consider the last chapter, we look at the church and, and we know from scripture, God gives to the church gifts. That is people who can do various things. And if they never used those gifts in the church, no one benefits. And in any relationship, if we do not use the gifts that God has given to us, then the other person in that relationship, the other people in that relationship, will never benefit from your gifts. And that's not what God's intended. He gave gifts. He gave gifts. He gave you the ability to do things so that you could use them predominantly always for his glory and for the good of the kingdom, the work of the kingdom. So whether it's in church, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, wherever it is, we need to be mindful that God's given us gifts to use in these relationships. Now, Well, I'll come back. I'll come back to that. I want to I take a look at the first paragraph again just to kind of refresh it in our mind. I'm on page 650. Paragraph 26.1 of the Westminster Confession. All saints that are united, all right, here's, just note our words, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit, that's how we're united, the effectual calling, and by faith have fellowship, there's communion, with him and his graces, sufferings, death, 
resurrection, and glory. That covers it all. There's nothing left out in that group. It's your salvation and everything that, that, that relates to that. It's eternity. It's, it's what you and what I look forward to in heaven and all his graces. And that's the ability among a variety of things to love. Right? To fulfill the, the, the law, the moral law. To love God and to love one another. Fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love. So as a result of united to Christ, united to one another in love. They have communion in each other's gifts and graces. Just what we were talking about. And here's the other part, though. And are obliged we're obligated and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce or lead to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. And I think we were on question three last week on page 651. Believers are in union with whom? Well, as we just read, first and foremost, communion of the saints requires communion with Christ, being united to Christ. And obviously that happens one way. By the working of the Holy Spirit, effectual calling, and we'll look at, uh, that's chapter 7 of the confession we dealt with, um, and we I'll look at a paragraph in there as we go along here. But united with Christ, the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit and the exercise of faith, which is a gift as well to us, but the exercise of faith, as the paragraph says. United to one another in love, they have communion each other's gifts and graces. All right. So we're united to Christ and we're united to each other. Each other. Let me... It just, just stop and think for a minute, practically. So, now, you're united, if, if you're married, okay, you're united to your spouse, but your spouse isn't always, everywhere you go, your spouse isn't there. Now, in one sense, even though your spouse isn't there physically, your spouse is there. Because as it were, hopefully, you kind of, you, you carry your spouse with you in your heart. And in your head, too, is, is okay. The Lord maybe puts upon you to pray for your spouse, just to think about uh, your spouse. But spiritually, spiritually, being united to Christ, what is the, what is the end result of that for you and for me daily? Right? You're not united to Christ when you get up in the morning and you go to work. Is it not true that wherever you go, you're taking Christ with you? Because you're united to Him. Would that not be true? 
right? So you take with you, certainly we know that the Holy Spirit indwells. No question, you're taking the Holy Spirit with you. Meaning, at every moment of every day, that union never stops. So as you interact, as it were, Christ is right there beside you. And that interaction, hopefully, is reflecting him to whoever you're interacting with. And communion should be, as it were, constant. Now again, it's not that your mind is constantly thinking about the word of God or thinking about Christ, but your desire in your heart is to reflect Christ everywhere you go in everything you do, right? Isn't that our obligation? Am I going beyond what scripture would tell us? And then when we think about that, now you start thinking about those verses, lo, I am with you always. I'm with you always. Well, he is, because we're in union. I will never leave you, because we're in union. You're joined to me, and I am joined to you. You are in Christ. If you are in Christ, wherever you go, Christ is going with you. And as we think about those verses... Now it starts, I'm with you. I'm with you always. Wonderful thought in it. Could be a scary thought. Oh, the Lord was with me when I acted in less than a Christ-like way. The Lord saw me. When I got really upset with the person in front of me that was driving two miles an hour slower than I wanted them to. Right? Hey, little things could be big things. But I was just thinking about that this week. Being in union with Christ. And then the verses that I've just mentioned. And just how important then. We, we start understanding, we think about that. Now you start thinking about, you're the light of the world. The switch never goes off. Right? That's a light, so let your light, what? Shine before men. Why? So they can see how wonderful a person you are? So they Blinded by your brilliance or whatever? No. They may glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Light, salt. And these are constants. And why are they constants? How can they be constants? Because 
we're united to Christ. And with that communion, if that communion is what in our heart I hope we all want it to be and we ask the Holy Spirit to help it to be, that communion, as a result of that union, just shines forth. Right? So, how important is this? This is, again, practical everyday Christian living. How does it impact the church? We're going to see, and, and it's pretty obvious probably to you, but it's how it ought to be in the church. That as we come, our union with Christ and our communion with one another should be seen. It should be noticed. And, and it doesn't mean you've got to go up and hug everybody, okay? Um, it simply means that maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Maybe it's, you know, you see somebody and Lord bless them today. Maybe it's just you uttering a prayer for them. You know, maybe you know something about, maybe they've been going through some tough times and you happen to know it. Lord, just separate them from those tough times today and let them enjoy you. You know, that's part of what communion of the saints does. It's being aware that we're united to one another so that hopefully, in some respects, if you hurt, I'll hurt. If you're rejoicing, I ought to be rejoicing. Why? Because we're united. We're united. You know, if I hit my finger with a hammer and it hurts, it's not that that finger, if I touch it, hurts. It, I'm hurting all over in one sense. My mind let the whole body know we got an injured member here and, it, and it's hurting. Right? That's kind of what we're talking about here. That empathy, that spiritual empathy, can be physical as well, that makes us commune one with the other, that gives us, that lets us enjoy the mutual benefits. So if I have a problem, if I fall, there are people there that pick me up and help. Why? Because they know it's not fun to fall. Maybe they know I'll have a hard time getting up. So they're there to help me. Otherwise, if I don't have that union and communion, maybe I just lay on the floor for a number of days, weeks, whatever it is. Right? So our believers are in union with Christ and with each other. Question four on page 651. What is the basis of the believer's union with Christ? Right? 
So look at Romans 8, a familiar passage, uh, but if you'll turn to it, Romans 8, and you can jot these down in your, in your uh, book there. And Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, his decree. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then take a look at Ephesians 1. And again, familiar passage to you. Ephesians 1. Verses 4 and 5. According as he hath chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. All right? You see that union there by Jesus Christ? According to the good pleasure of his will. So, we start. How is it that we're united to Christ? But well, we start with God's decrees. And what do we know about God's decree as it pertains to our union with Christ? What we just read, we were chosen in him when? Before the foundation of the world. So it started when God decreed that we would be joined, we would be united to Christ. Right? God's decree. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Then, then we have Adam, of course, fell, sin, was creation, Adam and Eve. So man now exists. Adam sins, and we, through Adam, are placed in an estate of sin and misery. Right? A state of sin and misery. So then, then what do we have relative to our being united to Christ? What's the next thing then that happens? Adam, the first Adam, as it were, it would seem messed up. Failed in keeping that union intact. But God did what? He entered into the covenant of what? Grace. The first covenant was the covenant of what? Works. Right? You obey, you'll be saved. Adam didn't obey. The day you eat, you'll die in sin and death entered the world. So God, things we've looked at, God entered into this covenant of grace. Covenant of grace was entered into with Christ. Covenant of work started with Adam, the first Adam, as our federal head. 
Now the covenant of grace, covenant of grace is Christ, you die, you pay the penalty for these chosen people. They're yours. I will give them to you. That's the covenant of grace. The Father and the Son. Right? So we now have that covenant of grace. I want to I want to just, a um, couple other things, and we've, we've hit these before, so I'm not going to spend time. I just want to mention it. Chapter 7 is, is, deals with God's covenant with man. The first, this is uh, 7.2, the first covenant made with man was a covenant of works, wherein life was promised to Adam, and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. That didn't happen. Paragraph 3, 7.3, man by his fall having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, that is that covenant of works, the Lord was pleased to make a second, commonly called the covenant of grace, wherein he freely offered unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him, that they may be saved, and promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto life his Holy Spirit, to make them willing and able to believe. Right? And then... The, the larger catechism question 31. And this is... If you if you're, and I'm using Williamson's, which the catechism's the same, but his comments and stuff are here, and he groups these, and he's got this one under covenant of grace. And question 31 says, with whom was the covenant of grace made? The covenant of grace was made with Christ, as the second Adam, and in Him. There's the united, and in Him with all the elect as his seat. And you, you can read and, and go through the other questions. Um, how the covenant, how is the grace of God manifested in the second covenant? Um, how was the covenant of grace administered under the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Just a refresher, you know, you go back and uh, take a look at these. Uh, it's just great to refresh your, your memory and your knowledge of these things because it's, again, it's critical. It's critical, obviously, for salvation, being united to Christ. But it's critical in glorifying God and enjoying him. Right? If I'm in communion with Christ, I'm going to be in communion with the Father. Right? I'm going to be helped as much as a person can be helped by the Holy Spirit. Because that's the only way I'm going to be in communion. But that's, that's the way it ought to be for us. Every day. This communion. You wake up in the morning. You wake up. I'm united to Christ. Nothing can change that. And today, 
whatever is in front of me, I'll have Christ with me. And I'll have the help of the Holy Spirit as I ask. It's the Father's promise. Right? Covenant of grace. So we have God's decree. Then we have this covenant of grace, this declaration, this agreement. Then we have Christ appearing. We have, as it were, Christ delivering. Christ had to die for his people. So we've just come through the Christmas season, the incarnation, a lot of our thoughts on Christ's coming, taking upon himself the form of a man, right? So that he could fulfill the covenant of grace. That's why he came. And so that we could be united to him. And so that we can enjoy all the benefits that result from being united to him. Every day. Rejoicing that our sins are forgiven. Rejoicing that we're on our way to glory. Rejoicing. That sin no longer has dominion over me. Rejoicing that I now again have the ability to love God as I'm required to. And I have the ability to love others. Right? Sin took that away. Christ restored it. And in communion with him... Those things will be lived out in your life and mine. Should be. No reason for them not to be. So Christ becomes the source and substance of this life. Colossians, well, I'm in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us all, toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And it keeps going there. Colossians 1. Verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers to have communion in the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins and again you can keep going there and there's more there and then Colossians 2 verse 10 and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete as a result of that communion. It gives a completeness. Twelve, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having 
forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And again, you can keep going there. And then one more verse there, 19. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and hands have and bands, having nourishment ministered. So the head is nourishing to the body and the body's nourishing to itself. And knit together increaseth with the increase of God. So you've got this working out, this basis of our union with Christ, God's decree, covenant of grace, Christ coming and dying, and now Christ living in you and me. The kingdom, the work of the kingdom. I was thinking, I think I'm, I said, and I think I said it in error, that Christ, what do we bring to this relationship, this mutual benefit we talk about? We're united to Christ, so the communion, and what do we bring? And I think I said, you know, it's all of, of, of God, it's all of Christ, and it is in the establishment of that union. But, what is it that you and I are to be doing? What is it that we bring to this relationship? Anybody got any thoughts? Think Matthew, all right? But do what? Seek what? Ye first. The kingdom of God. In essence, what you and I bring to this relationship is we do the work of the kingdom. We don't do it in our own strength and wisdom, but now, think of, think of verses. What are we called in Scripture? You know, we talk, we've already talked about light and, 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 and salt. What else? Can you think of some other words that describe us in reference to our union with Christ and, as it were, to God? We are what? Co-heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ. What else? Think of things relative to the working of the kingdom. You are an... Well, we're a royal priesthood, which, again, as it works for us and as praying for each other, so that's good. What else? Good. Ambassadors? You're an ambassador. You bring to this relationship a representation of God, of Christ, here on earth. You're an ambassador. You're an epistle, right? It's another word that's used about us. Written so that men can read you and see what it's all about. Okay? So as you think about these terms and these positions we occupy, united to Christ and communion. And now the mutual benefit. We get strength 
We get help. We've got the Holy Spirit. We're given wisdom. We, we're given understanding. We've got God's word. And what's our job? The function of the church. We considered it last chapter. There were two things. They both start with an E. The first one is to E what? E. Think of E. Oh, it's another thing that we are. Are we not evangels? Right? Evangelism. Evangelism. Function of the church to evangelize. And then the other function is to starts with an E. Kind of what we're doing this morning. Sort of. Equip, and how do we equip? Edify. edify. We edify, which is equipping. We edify. That's the function of the church. All right? So that's what we do here as part of the communion work. And we certainly have the working of the Holy Spirit. And again, you can look at uh, chapter 10 of the Confession, that's the chapter on effectual calling, uh, and we've gone through that, so uh, you can go back and look at our chapters and stuff and the verses if you don't have them. All, all of the, the, the chapters are in the room now. All the prior are just in the notebooks that are there. If you haven't got it, gotten them before, feel free to take them. They're there to be used. If they're all gone, I'll put some more out there, uh, but make use of them. Uh, for what you have. All right. The basis of the believer's union with Christ. And, and again, the proof text that we've got here, um, wonderful, wonderful proof text. The, the, the one Ephesians it, the, is proof text number two, and the first one we talked about it, edifying itself in love. That's what communion's doing. It's causing and edifying in love, helping one another, teaching, learning. You know, the, the beauty is, again, you fall, there are those there to help pick you up and lift you. In the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Well, again, if we're trying to help one another, that's part of what's happening, is communion of saints. Question five, what is the result of being in union with Christ? I'm on page 653. The, the result, if you look at the larger catechism there on the bottom of 652, what is that union which the elect have with Christ? The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically yet really and inseparably joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. Again, things we've just talked about. The ability, the result, that ability to love God and to love one another. You can jot down 1 John 5, 2. Um, First John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God 
when we love God and keep his commandments. Apart from being united to Christ, that's an impossibility. But in communion with Christ, there ought to be that tugging at our heart to make it what our life is all about. If, if that union is impressing itself upon us and there's that communion, you want to please God. You want to love God. Scripture tells us, and again, these verses you, you can think of and you can think of more, I'm sure, but you're to love God with, with, with everything about you because of being united to Christ. You can do that now. And as you do that, that work of sanctification will progress. That's what helps it. The closer you are to God, the more you're in communion, the more you realize what breaks that communion, sin. And so you confess that sin. You repent of that sin. You ask for forgiveness. And we know that if you confess your sins, that God's faithful and just to forgive us because we're united to Christ and he's paid the penalty for all those sins. Okay? It all comes back to this relationship and this union and then this communion working in us. Question six, what is the basis of the believer's union with other believers? Well, we've already talked about it some and mentioned it and that obviously is Christ. Now again, as you, as you think, we think about this subject, then think about the scripture, all right, that gives you a picture of it. Gives you a picture of it. And obviously there's a number of them. We've already talked about the husband and wife, right, that union. Right? We've talked about the building, Christ being the chief cornerstone. We're built up. God is fitly putting each stone, each brick, each timber, each part of the edifice in place so that it stands firm and beautiful. It does what it's intended to do. We've got the body. Christ is the head. And as we talked about, you know, I may be a toenail. I may be a little part of a toenail. I may be a little cell that makes up part of the skin on the finger. Right? You know, how often do you get a microscope and look at your skin? Huh? We don't. We, we get a little worried when it starts peeling off. But, <laughs> but you know, and, and what's happening? I thought about this, too. You know, we, we get such wonderful pictures. But we know that our skin cells die with some regularity. And there are those to take their place. And that happens in the body of Christ. In this communion of saints, there are saints that move on to glory. 
And there are those that come and now take their place so that the body here on earth still functions without difficulty, right? It's not difficult for God to provide what his church needs and what his people need. My time's pretty much gone, so I'll stop there. And we'll, we'll keep going here. I, again, it's just so practical. And as you start thinking about this, then you start thinking about these scripture verses. Hopefully, they become more than just truth. They become useful truth. Right? You start to oh, yeah. I can see how this is working. I can see how important it is for me to do this, for me to make sure that I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, for me to consider my union, and hopefully that helps in how I act and what I do and say throughout the day because I'm in union. I'm in union with God because I'm in Christ, in Christ, Scripture, John, you know, they in me and I in you. That is Christ in the Father. We're God's children. We're connected to him through Christ. And you carry that representation with you every day, wherever you go, whatever you do. So, let's pray. Father, again, we are thankful to you for the blessings you give us. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. How wonderful. How wonderful to have your instruction, your, your guidebook for life here and for the promises that are ours in Christ. Lord, may we rejoice much this day because we're joined, we are in union, we are united to Christ. And we are united to one another in Christ. Lord, strengthen that bond of love and unity in this place, this day. Lord, in our homes, we pray that you would help. and We pray that you would get glory to yourself because men see what we're about and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So go before us now in the remainder of this time. Help us in our worship service to follow. Help us in this day. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.